thousands are moving to LA. With so many people coming here, it's rare to find someone who's actually from Los Angeles. Many newcomers have never lived among brown people before. Hello there, I'm Drew Burrius. I'm brown and I'm an LA native. This is a conversation of what it is to be a brown person in this city and our different narratives. What do I mean by brown? Latino, Latino X, Chicano, Central American, South American, Caribbean, and anyone who recognizes themselves as one. I want to change the perception of myths and misconceptions of who we are. The way I see it is if you're going to live here, get to know us. Now, the point is not to offend anyone, or, but to educate. If you feel attacked, then you missed the point. This is Being Brown in L.A. My guest today is makeup artist Marina Correa. She recently ran the makeup department on the Netflix series Hentified. And if you haven't seen it, there's a nice painting that she did on a guy's stomach of Mariah Carey. You're gonna love it. What do you do? For a living? Yeah. Uh, I am a freelance makeup artist. So tell me who you are and what you do. You already told us you're a makeup artist. And what do you do as a makeup artist? Uh, so I belong to the local union 706. Um, so there's different levels, uh, and I belong to the level that I do film and TV. Um, yeah. And Marina, where were you born? You were born here in LA? I was born in Pasadena, um, but my parents are divorced, which I feel like is everyone in our generation. Okay, sorry. Um, and my father lived in El Sereno, and my mom lived in Alhambra. And I spent, I would say, the majority of our activities as a family were in East LA. Um, and then full circle, you're back in Pasadena. I'm in South Pasadena. <laughs> okay. We, we always go back home, I guess. Yeah. 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 It's, it's funny, because when I moved to Echo Park, I felt like... I had spent so much of my childhood in Echo Park, and then I couldn't believe that I was living there again um, and paying, you know, large amounts of money for rent, <laughs> which was even worse. My grandmother's house is on top of a hill from Woodrow Wilson High School, where mm. my dad lived, this beautiful house, and they sold it. And my brother and I have always wanted to purchase it again, and I think it might be worth over a million now. <sighs> So, one day. Yeah. The house that my godparents lived in Echo Park on Echo Park Avenue. Yeah. Uh, they sold it to a nice gay couple, and they fixed it up really well. They but, did, my grandmother yeah. did the same thing? Yeah. Well, she didn't sell it, but after she passed away, some uh, professors at Cal State LA. Oh, nice. And it's okay. beautiful now. Well, it's in good hands. So, yeah. Yeah. But you can go back. I was going to say, like, it can be in better hands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. What do you identify yourself as? Uh, a female uh, Mexican-American. Hmm. Not Chicana? Um, it's so funny you say that because growing up 
my mother, uh, she, she, I think she was born in Montebello. I can't 100% say for certain that's where she was born. But she grew up in Montebello, went to Montebello High School, and the dynamic over there was always very interesting. Um, she was one of, you know, the few minority families out there, and the majority of her friends were white. Um, and in college, she got her A at ELAC and then went to Cal State LA, and I think that opened her eyes to... Uh, more Mexican, American and Mexican uh, individuals. And she became very in touch with her culture and she became very proud with the Chicana movement, Chicano movement. And so growing up as a kid, she was always like, Chicana power and like so hardcore that I, uh, it made me nervous because, uh, I felt like I didn't identify with such strong connections to my culture in that way. Um, so it's not necessarily the first word that comes to mind when I identify myself. Is it easier for, for some Mexicanos to just be like, I'm not Chicano, I'm, I'm not as political, I'm just Mexican? I don't know. I think also too, I feel like fake when I say it. You feel like there's got to be some kind of like, you, know, you got to have some history with it. Like, oh, I am yeah, well, political like, or I am Yeah, and I mean, I mean, maybe I'm going myself a disservice, but my mom, she like volunteered for the United Farm Workers Association and went on marches. And I feel like they, I mean, maybe it was just a, the time period, you know, with the wars and such, but I feel like they actively were more political and representative of being Chicano. So now I don't, I feel like I'm a fraud if I if I say that. But I suppose that I am Chicana. Okay. But I feel I like, mean, there's no right or wrong. Yeah, I feel like I, it's a label that I don't deserve as of yet. With identity, I think we're all like um, in a weird place because I feel like the misconception of Latinos is that we are a certain thing and we're one thing and we're not. You know, I feel like I, I I volunteered for the United Farm Workers when I was in high school. I went to marches. I went to Watsonville. I, you know, I protested, you know, clean water and bathrooms for the strawberry workers. And I mean, I'm not Mexican and I'm not Chicano. I consider myself a Latino, and uh, I I don't feel like I'm as political as some of my counterparts were. So it's it's I feel like I get to choose what I want to identify as. I feel like if a lot of people would say like, oh, you're very political. I, it's kind of like a marker that I don't like because I don't feel like I am that political enough to be in every march or protesting or on top of all the topics. I just feel like clean water and bathrooms is sort of a thing that, you know, I did believe in that it was such a big deal for me. And, and I know a lot of people would, would criticize the fact that, oh, you know, you're not as political as all of us. And, See, and there's and a I, lot of that going around. Yeah, and I think that though I am political and being my mother who she was, we did grow up going to marches and I didn't have a grape until I was 16. And I went to Sasha Chavez's funeral. And um, to this day, I feel like my social media is very political and I'm not afraid to shy away from certain conversations and you know bring up point of views. Uh, but I think also there's an issue with me of how I grew up 
and I think that I did grow up around a lot of white kids so I would during the school day I would hang out with all these white kids and then in the evening I would go to my art classes and be around with all these brown kids and they thought I was like the white kids were like like that that uh, scene in Selena that movie where the dad's all like we have to be white for the white people and more Mexican for the Mexicans <laughs> you know yeah yeah and that's where I I, that's what I struggle with is because I'm like I feel like maybe I'm not Mexican enough for the Mexicans but how you said like being Latino is not just one thing we're yeah. all and that's something that I've had to really like learn and to I also own. feel like we code switch a lot I mean um, in the black community code switch is, is, is sort of the thing that they do to you know that we all do to survive and, and black men they do to survive just because in the world that they live in sometimes people can't handle who they are as yeah. people and we, we can't handle it. you put your white voice on yeah so you just kind of like know how to like hey i'm at work and this is how i talk and totally it's fun and then when you're with other people and i know i do that a lot with a lot of clients but sometimes i'm talking about you know cinema and stuff and we're putting things together and and somebody's like yeah i need this stuff and then you start talking in a very comfortable tone <laughs> and I feel like when they first get there because we're around so many other people they're like hey I just wanted to put this package together and I want to make sure that I can film this and blah 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 and then we start talking about the project and it's, it's like you know they're filming their grandma who's like you know 88 and she's doing soul food and then the voice comes out and then their real person is like I wouldn't say real person, but I'm like their more comfortable voice comes out, and then it's like we can have this conversation where we don't feel like we have to appease to anybody. Yeah. So I feel like Latinos have learned to code switch in a way where like we are now becoming much more integrated in some areas, and so we have to learn how to do totally. it. Totally. I feel like a lot of people expect us to be the loud, you know, Mexican girl. Yeah. Or that like the tough Latino guy and. You know, a lot of times I've, people are like, oh, you have this face, it's so intense, and you know, like, what are you thinking about? And they always have some kind of negative connotation with what they're asking me what I'm thinking about. And honestly, most of the time, half the time when you see me looking like I'm a crazy gangster, it's, I'm actually thinking about what I'm going to eat. Food is my my source of, of, you know, tension in my head. And I feel like a lot of people are like, oh... You, you, you look so tough and so intimidating and I'm like I'm just thinking about like the next hamburger the next thing I'm gonna eat man like I'm just like can I eat some cheese where can I get cheese from you know is, is it fried is it not fried? And, and I think that um, one of the biggest misconceptions about me is is that that I'm this dangerous or this intimidating person where it's like if people just knew who I was like, I don't think they would uh, be intimidated at all yeah. But, yeah I mean it comes with the stereotype of how you look yeah and so they expect Tattoos, same with me like yeah. I feel like someone sees me and they're they automatically don't know they automatically know that I'm not you know just white they're like oh yeah. she's exotic oh she's spicy yeah. oh she's saucy and I'm just like oh, okay what do you think the biggest misconception is about brown people in LA oh well then our current political climate that we're gonna steal your jobs and rape you but that has to do I feel like with yeah that's their president the stupid president yeah I mean I, I think a lot of people don't know where a lot of their food comes from and a lot of people don't know who cleans you know certain places and 
who serves the food. And I think that if you're thinking that those are the jobs we stole, I, I don't see a lot of Americans going, I want to um, clean someone's shit right. for a living. Like, that's my goal. Right. Like, I want to work 10-hour uh, days, yeah. seven days a week, weeding someone's yard. I want to be a nanny and take care of kids for, you know, not a lot of money. Yeah. And cook for some, you know, ungrateful people. And, you know, it's it's... It's not like something where like uh, I did a series years ago called Taking Back Our Jobs where I place purely Anglo uh, people, models with, uh, you know, like business attire, ties and suits and stuff. And I made them do these jobs that these immigrants were supposedly stealing. And I took a friend to a strawberry field and I had him pick strawberries. And half an hour of that, he was like, man, my, my back is hurting. And I'm like, bro, that's half an hour. These people are here for like 10 hours picking strawberries. Yeah. So you can go to the market and buy strawberries for like three bucks. So like half an hour is nothing. Yeah. And so I feel like a lot of us have, you know, even ourselves have a misconception of like what these jobs are that people are taking. And they're not coming in here. If, if you know, Mexicans are coming and, you know, Central Americans coming across the border and be like, oh, I'm going to take your doctor's spot at, you know. Kaiser, you know, Hopkins and stuff like that. I think that people would be like, oh my God, you know, that's the point where you can be like, yes, they're taking your jobs. And you know what? India and Korea and a lot of other countries are coming into America and they're taking those jobs. And I don't see a lot of people angry about that, you know. Um, A lot of people that cross the border have technical, you know, training. They are lawyers, they're doctors, but they can't practice here. So they're not taking those jobs. You know, I met a guy who you know, just left, and he was a architect in, you know, the Ukraine, but he yeah. can't work here because he, you know, he's not a full citizen. It's, it's ridiculous to think that these people are coming in loads and they're taking jobs that you want. You, do you really want to work at Walmart? Do you really want to work frying burgers at, you know, some... Yeah, but it's the, it's the power of that platform that, uh... Trump has, you know, he's allowed to instill these ideas into people's minds that actually don't even not necessarily have interaction with, you know, minorities on a day-to-day basis. So when you're being told something by someone that you respect, you're going to believe it. So I think across the country, that's like the biggest misconception. What do you think non-Latinos get wrong about us when they see us? Or wrong about you? You do work in a world where, you know, your culture is not your thing, but people may have assumptions. I think automatically when someone finds out that I'm Latina, they, uh, all the stereotypes come to their head. They automatically, you know, think that I speak fluent Spanish. They, you know, automatically assume that I have a huge family, that I'm loud, uh, that... So you're saying you're not loud. <laughs> uh, that, you know, all the things that come in traditional stereotypes when it comes, you know, specifically to Mexicans that, like, I have hot sauce in my purse and... Um, I love mariachi music. And the thing is, is a lot of these things are true, but 
people will often drop like comments when in just like casual conversation like oh well my parents live you know I haven't seen my parents in a year I bet you saw your parents last night you know just because that stereotype of uh female Latinas still living yeah. at home you know uh and so I've all those stereotypes people just automatically assume and I think one of the big ones too is someone will like say like oh they'll like there's always the talk on set because on set I'm always the native everyone's from all different walks of life and of course the favorite Los Angeles conversation comes up about traffic and streets and so someone will be talking about like Los Feliz or Alvarado or Sepulveda and they're like, wait, how do you say those correctly? And automatically it gets looked at me because they want to know how to say it in Spanish. And it's frustrating because I'm just like, you don't, you don't know me. You don't know my background. You don't even know if I speak Spanish just because I'm Latina. Like you can't just assume that. My family's probably been in this country longer than your family's been in this country. Um, so yeah, I'm always just like the go-to. I remember one time we got this, I was doing this show and they were using a song uh, in Spanish and this individual emailed all the the brown people that she thought were Latino mm-hmm. and emailed and said, we need you to translate this to make sure that it's okay. And uh, of course, everyone in the email got kind of got together and they're like, I can't believe she just like mass emailed us, yeah. like she translate said, this. Hey brownies, can you tell me what this means and if it's okay? Yeah, my friend was like, dude, I don't speak Spanish. Like, <laughs> I was born here and I don't, I don't, he's like, I don't speak Spanish. I'm sorry. I can't help you. So I think that's, in Los Angeles specifically too, that's like a big misconception. Do you think we're, our culture is fetishized in a way sometimes? By oh, 100%. You know? Like, I, I, I always find it really weird that, like, people dress like gangsters for Halloween. I think, like, if a real gangster saw you dress like that, like, you'd be in trouble. And, like, what makes you think that you can dress that way? Like Oh, 100% it's fetishized. You know, like, like, the gold chains right now, the hoops. Yeah. Um, and even, like, I feel... Th- white men fetishize latina women like yeah. there's i've dated a few guys that i'm just like wait what's your dating history oh yeah huh yeah that's interesting and yeah. i dated one guy that was like i love when you speak spanish to me and i was just like i'm not your little toy dude yeah like i'm just trying to have a relationship with you i'm not trying to turn you on by my culture yeah i i know a lot of, of women that in the past that I've dated, have this thing about like brown guys and tough brown guys. And I was like, oh, you got the wrong guy. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know if I would consider myself tough. I mean, uh, boxing was sort of the thing that I did as fun, but I don't think I'm like a, a guy that goes out and picks fights and stuff like that. And I'm not a gangster. I don't carry a gun. And you know, 
that gangster life is just very uh, exclusive for some people. Yeah. You know? So it's like, you know, it's bad enough that I'm a brown male in LA, you know, driving to the west side of work, you know, so um, that in itself is very gangsterish just by the mere fact that I'm trying to avoid to get arrested every single day or pulled over for no reason. Um, but I feel like there is some people out there that like look at us and think like, oh, this is, you know, I'm that girl that I can date this guy and I can tell my friends about that. And and, and you can see it more when you're when they're around their friends and how they try to sort of promote you in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I feel like uh, I hate being the accessory in someone's bag. Exactly. Yeah. And I felt so much like an accessory. Uh I feel like when you're dating certain people and they are fetishizing you, you it makes you do, it feels it makes you feel like an item, like a prop to yeah. their life. Yeah, and you don't even really care about me. You just like that I fit this mold of yeah. how you want the world to perceive and you. I, I don't know. I I feel like it's a it's a weird thing to date someone to fulfill some kind of like identity that you're trying to pull off. Right. You know, it's like. I get it from both sides. So I get it from people that are brown too. They're like, oh, you know, why don't you date Latinas? Why are you dating a white woman? Um, my girlfriend, of course, is, you know, white and her people are Scandinavian and, um, and Italian. But it's not like a thing where like, as Latinos, we don't go out there searching for white people to date. I mean, I don't. I think that I just don't like stupid people. And that's my quota. <laughs> that's like, like, I have a fetish for not for smart people. Yeah, that's my thing. And so if I find someone stupid, I'm like, I don't want to date you. Um, but I've dated, you know, done dozens and dozens of Latinas, and it just happened that we were not together. Yeah. But you know, I met this one woman, and I've dated her, and I've dated other white women, I've dated Asian women, I've dated black women, I've dated everything, and you know, I don't get a lot of like finger pointing when I date somebody of color, you know, because yeah. that's supposed to be my norm. But I feel like other Latinos want to pull the brown card and be like, oh, I want to take your brown card because you're dating a white woman. You know, there's so many Latinas that you can date, so many good Latinas. And I'm like, well, there's a lot of bad Latinas. Yeah. Um, so I feel like sometimes in our own culture, we get judged for dating people outside of our Oh, race. 100%. I mean... My boyfriend's white, and I would say that predominantly the males I have dated um, have been white. They've been white or mixed, um, and I haven't actually like sought them out. Uh, I haven't been like, I'm going to date a white man, you know? It's just been what I've encountered and been with. And I've dated a few Latino men, and I think it, in, a, in some way, I kind of felt even like how previously we were talking about, you know, someone fitting in our lives to present like an identity. I felt like dating a Latino man, I was more dating them in that idea of like, this is the, I like want to appear more Mexican. So, like, I'm going to date a man of color, and that will be the image I'm cause, putting out there. Yeah, because, yeah. of course, my mother wants me to 
Yeah. Date a Latino and. But um. Like yeah, how you said, there's good yeah. people and bad people. Of. I feel like in my in my family, once my mother saw me date one white woman, she was like, "Okay, whatever. I don't care who you date. You just gotta." Her concern was more like you gotta pick the right person. I think it was a struggle for my mom at first. And then uh, I think at a certain point she was just like, I was glad she was glad I was dating anyone. But also, <laughs> uh, I think she probably took some responsibility in herself because she made the active choice to send me to an elementary school that was predominantly white. Yeah. And I went there from kindergarten to eighth grade. And when I'm surrounded by a bunch of white kids, that's what I know, and that's what I'm comfortable with. But don't you think that's the evolution, though? Like, that's where we are heading, like, the fact that we're living in a city that's so multicultural. L.A. is a huge multicultural city, more than a lot of other cities in, in this nation. But isn't it the whole point that we kind of intermix? Like, we're going to, we have to close our eyes and not look at white people. I mean, it's kind of like we are all around each other, and eventually people are going to meet and talk, and, you know, yeah, I agree, but I think, especially with this last election, I've realized that Los Angeles is very much a bubble, and it's not a reflection of the rest of the United States. And I think eventually, like years and years, of course, we'll all be somewhat intermixed, but I still think that Los Angeles is still in a bubble. I don't want to... I've made the mistake of thinking naively, previously and I don't want to do that again and I also think there is something to say about culture culturally we grow up very different yeah and there's things that I've that have been instilled with me and stick with me and that I've grown up with that I 100% can put money on that my friends that are also Mexican or Salvadorian um Puerto Rican can relate to and I can 100% put money on my boyfriend not ever experiencing it because yeah. he's white. Yeah. I feel the same way. I mean, a lot of the times uh, I try to explain everything to my girlfriend about things how I grew up and you know, she has a um, she has a, a uncle that they call Theo and for a long time they thought that was his name, but he's her their Mexican uncle. So <laughs> So uh, she's sort of accustomed to being around brown people, and so that she knows that there's a different narrative from where they go. And also us going places, yeah. like, there's a different narrative. Like I could go up to a bar and wait for a while to yeah. get served, and she'll walk right up and she'll get a drink right away. And we already know this, and we've had this conversation at certain places here in L.A., and um, I think that the, she understands sort of some of the stuff that I, that bugs me and also understand some of the things that I find hilarious or uh, that are, you know, cultural icons in, yeah. in my head. Um, but I, I, I think that she'll never know what it feels like to be in certain situations. And I don't know what it feels like to be a white woman. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why mayonnaise is such a big deal to them. But that's a very confusing thing to me. But that's part of that's part of how she grew up. You yeah. Know, she loves mayonnaise and I don't. Yeah. But that's a micro, you know, yeah. example. But of course, yeah. Uh, all right. What is it about brown people and how we also treat 
you know, talking about culture, how we treat our gay and trans and bi, you know, brothers and sisters. I mean, I feel like there's something there where, like, we're okay with having these, like, you know, trans icons that sing and dance in shows, but then when it's in your family, it's harder to accept. Um, it's so funny that you say that, because I was just thinking about this the other day, and, uh, I was, I was reading an article about this town in Mexico, and I'm not 100% sure where it is, so don't quote me, and I don't want to completely butcher the article that I was reading, but it's this, uh, small town where a lot of the, there's one in each family becomes a... Third sex? Yeah, a girl, I don't want to use the term incorrectly, a girl boy, a girly boy, or... It's in Thailand a lot, too. Um, and it's like the pride to have this one um, child yeah. become that. And in a way, now that you say that, they are kind of a celebrity. Yeah. And that's so true. We do like... The, as a culture, I think we like... And I know here I am stereotyping my own culture. But we just within our celebrations, we like you know, ostentatious things, like big, beautiful presentations, and like even our music, like whatever it be, like Huasteco or Mariachi or Banda, it's like big and grandiose. Yeah. And I think um, oftentimes when, uh, you know, gay or trans humans are in the spotlight, that aspect is played up so we admire it and love it but it's so much like when it but not in your house yeah like not uh in your family but i come from a family i mean my family's been in the states for a while and we were very uh open and accepting like my grandmother was one of the first females to graduate from UC Santa Barbara, what? yeah. Um, my my granny and my grandpa got divorced later in life, which is something that you never did. And my granny went back to school, got her college degree after both her children got their college degree, what? and then got her credential. Like I come from this line of really strong women. Yeah. And um, so growing. Up, especially in Los Angeles, I think I was. Uh, I, my mom or my mom's friends or my parents' friends too were gay, S and uh, and so I, d I didn't think it was different or out of the ordinary, um, and I know. For a short while, I knew my mom. Uh, it was during like that when Facebook was really big in college, and my friend had just been broken up with her boyfriend, and it was right when they started putting the relationship statuses on there. <laughs> and I was like, "I'll be your boyfriend." Like it just was like a show of support, you yeah. know, just joking around. And we put um, our we, we were boyfriends yeah. on Facebook. In a relationship. Yes. Yeah. And my mom saw it, and she mm -hmm. called my brother, and she's like, "Is your, is your sister a lesbian?" <laughs> and my mom, my brother was like, "Why?" 
well, it says she's in a relationship with Nikki. And my brother was like, maybe she is, maybe she is a lesbian, but you should talk to her about it. And he hung up the phone and he immediately calls me. And I'm still in college at this point in time. So like, and he's in college. We're just like living our lives and we're still like, my brother and I don't talk every day. And so I was like, why is he calling me? And I answered the phone. I'm like, hello. And he's like, hi, mom thinks you're lesbian. Gotta go. Bye. Hangs up the phone. And I was like, what? I was like, what? Why does she think I'm a lesbian? And I call her and she's like, we have a conversation and she starts crying and she's just like, I wouldn't even care if you were lesbian. I'm just sad that you wouldn't tell me. <laughs> so I have like had a very accepting family. So my mom would be completely fine if, uh, I think my dad would struggle with a little bit of it. My dad struggles with anything. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I feel that's a very common thing about Latinos and Mexicanos. You know, um, I have two cousins, uh, one a woman and one a man, that are both gay, and um, I think all of us as kids knew. But it's kind of that thing where we're just like, yeah, whatever. Like it's none of my business. Yeah. Who the fuck am I to tell people their truth? And then when they came out, all the parents were like, Oh my god. Your cousin's a lesbian, and we were like, oh, yeah. And then my mother was like, well, why didn't you tell me? And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, like, it's not for me to tell. Like, you know, she's all like, oh, she's, she would tell me about all these things that my cousin was doing. And, of course, I saw my cousin when we would go to college together. I saw my cousin in the basketball team and hanging out with these really pretty girls. And so I was always like, damn, she's got good taste. But I didn't, you know, like, I don't know. I'm from a different generation than my parents, so I yeah. don't know, like, where do I get off yeah. being judgmental about what people do? Yeah. I just thought it was cool that she had really hot chicks. <laughs> See, yeah, uh, my dad's side of the family has, uh, it's bigger than, well, who we regularly see is bigger than my mom's side of the family. And I have several cousins that are uh, gay, queer, and trans. And I have two cousins that are trans, and... To this day, my dad still struggles. He's always like, he's nice, and he never says anything like outwardly rude. Um, and he's kind of stopped talking to me or making comments to me about it because mm -hmm. I shut him down. Because yeah. he's like, well, you know, they're kind of kooky. And I'm like, no, they're not kooky. Like, they're not, not even gay, more of the okay. trans. Okay. Um, and it's very much, I kind of feel... A little bit bad for them because they're just a product of their generation even my mom now yeah. when my poor niece who's not even three months old she'll like say something about her like how we're dressing her and like how it's not appropriate and I'm like stop sexualizing my niece and my mom's poor mom. She's like I'm not sexualizing her and I'm just like you gotta it's time to change I know it's hard to change what you know and what you've learned yeah but I feel like our culture here in America, we protect us so much because we're being attacked. But I think at the same time, we need to change it. Yeah. And we need to sort of guide our parents into this new age and be like, look, it's okay not to be a fucking pendejo anymore. Yeah. Like, we don't have to be. Totally. Yeah. Like, we don't have to say stupid shit about yeah. trans or gay or whatever. Like, they're just fucking other people. Because, you know... I take this line that this guy told me one time. There's like, you know, there's, you know, all these people 
these Latinos, these Mexicanos are in the corner and they're all like, you know, fighting with each other and saying like, you're this and you're that and you're that. And on the other side of the street is the cop scene, like, look at all these beaters. Let me get him off the street. And it's like, that's, that's the truth. Yeah. You know, on the other side, everybody's looking at us going, look at these fucking brown people. And, you know, how they're taking up space or they're creating this drama. And we're trying to, like, fight with each other about stuff. Where we should just be like, look, it's changed. Culture is not what it was before. We can still be brown. But it's okay. We're not yeah. threatened. Like, brown people are not going to disappear tomorrow. Because they're, you know, because a couple of us are dating white people. You know, yeah, and so, in that sense, I feel like I think that our culture is a little outdated. You know, uh, I come from a Central American family that, where the women are always in charge of the household and the money. So it's not like you know that thing where people would be like, "Oh, wait until your dad gets home." Like, we were more afraid of my mom. So, I, I, I think this is why I choose the women I choose. This is why I choose the women I choose because. I have a thing for strong women, and if they have a little bit of attitude, then it's that's my cup of tea. And so, I think there's something to be to say about how our culture needs to catch up to what who we become as people, especially in this country. What do you, what do you think is something that non-brown people don't understand? Like something particular that only we understand. Oh, that's a hard question. I don't know, like, if there's a specific thing, but it's like the, when you're in, when you, let's say you're in a room with a bunch of white people and, like, you're, there's, you're one of two brown people and they do something that you're not familiar with, you can always look at the other brown person and they, like, there's this, I mean, I've done it with you. Yeah. I feel well, like with our friends, and I like right, and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, fucking white people, you're right? <laughs> and then I look at you, and you're like, <laughs> fucking but white people. We don't say anything. Yeah, it's with not, our yeah. eyes. And it's not a thing like, oh, uh, you know, our friends are wonderful. Like, yeah. Of, oh, a hundred percent. Yes. I, I love our friends. It could be silly shit, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's a thing that it's a negative thing. Like it's us against them because. Um, I don't like a lot of people, but I love these people. Yeah. And, you know, they happen to be from every culture. Yeah. And their, you know, sexual orientation, creed, and whatever. Yeah. Um, we just happen to be the two brownies in the room sometimes. <laughs> so I feel like it's easy for me to say, when they say something, I can look at you and go like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and it's funny, you know. And, 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 you know, Mike was one of the guys who kind of, you know, inspired me to do this because he said to me, he goes, what is a Chicano? And then I think somebody was trying to answer that question and I was like, man, I'm not a Chicano, but I'll tell you what it is. Yeah. Where the word came from. Yeah. And how it was used and now how it's been, you know, used to identify certain people. And he was like, oh, I never do this and blah, blah, blah. And so that's why I stopped. This is a great way to talk about misconceptions and who we are because I feel like sometimes when you're in a room full of people that don't get you, you can look at somebody and say... And I think that's like, that's that unspoken, majority of the time there's that unspoken camaraderie. Yeah. Like you walk in a room and you see another brown person and you're like, okay. Yeah. This could be a safe space. <laughs> yes. Like you are my safe space yeah. in this yeah. room. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean I'm closing myself off to other options. No, no, no. Not but 
out of everyone in the room, you and you and I are more likely to have similar circum yeah. like uh, life experiences. Yeah, and, and I, I've been on set where like I'm one of two or three brown people. And, yeah, you know, in the photo or in the the entertainment industry, there's not a lot of people that you get to see. We're not representing a lot. Yeah, you know. There's not a lot of cameraman or DP or sound guys that are black or brown. And so when I do find somebody there, I'm like, oh, what's up, man? Like, yeah. hey, you're like me. And it's like, I think this was the impact of what when Black Panther came out and people saw this movie and they were like, that's a superhero. Yeah. And he's got nappy hair like I do. And as a kid who is, you know, Afro-Latino and I have nappy hair, I was like, dope. I'm not black. I'm part black, but that guy could look like me. Yeah. You know? And, you know, uh, I'm a lighter shade of that black, but at least I feel like there was some kind of representation, yeah. you know? And then when they put, you know, uh, when I saw Star Wars and I saw that Latino guy was flying one of those spaceships, I was like, oh, there's, there's a Latino, you know, a watermelon to be exact. Like my mother's, you know, country, yeah. like. I'm part watermelon, so I'm like, there's a watermelon in space. That's crazy. <laughs> we can't even get jobs here in LA, but there's one in fucking space. Yeah. Which I thought was space amazing. Space doesn't discriminate. Yeah, so I feel like, yeah, in space, you can be brown and it's okay, you know. Just another guy fucking fixing <coughs> spaceship, you know. Um, but I felt like there, there's things about that where, like, you feel like there's a connection because at least somebody kind of looks like you, so you know that there's, like, there's a, an unspoken understanding. Yeah. You know. Uh, what do you think is is the future of brown people in this city, since it's changing so much? I mean, I th I think that I mean we're we're the majority now in Los Angeles. I don't want to put out false claims, but I believe that's the case. Uh, and I th and I think with you know, our generation and even the generation after us, I don't know what the correct label for them, what are they, Gen Y? I thought they were the boomers. Yeah. No, the boomers are above okay. us. Okay, so I guess they're Y. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that there's been, and that might be a product of our current president I think that people have become more socially aware they want to become more politically active uh, there's been I think a resurgence especially I I feel it in my life of this wanting to reconnect with my culture and be proud of my culture and um, I am I have my roots are Mexican, but I am American and I'm proud to be both and I'm tired of defending what that is because it's just me. Yeah. And uh and I think that before where maybe we were even culturally like within the Mexican American culture we were like fighting over like who's more Mexican and like who's do you deserve to be like do you deserve to have this label we're becoming more understanding and 
culturally aware and just lifting each other up. Um, and that might be thinking naive, but just within the industry that I work in, I've just recently, I did a Netflix series and it's about uh, a family in East LA and the, the majority of the crew was Latino, which was amazing. That's crazy. And so, uh, yeah, we're not talking about catering, right? We're talking about like everybody. Yeah. Okay, cool. And just everyone like working together and lifting each other up and meeting people from all walks of life and them respecting me for being a Chicana and me respecting them. It was, it felt good. And I feel like that that's how slowly the city's gonna turn. It is, I mean, it already is happening. Just lifting each other up. And I think we're not afraid anymore uh, of who we are, to like culturally. Okay, enough, enough apologizing for yeah. around and now we can just yeah. be ourselves, yeah. yeah. But with that said, how is gentrification affecting us though? Oh boy. You know, the city's, that's the big elephant in the city right now. It's like gentrification and, you know, property owners, Airbnb and everything, making everything expensive. Like, are we losing our LA? I mean, look at Silver Lake, look at Echo Park. I think my biggest qualm when I talk about gentrification is that there's a lack of reinvesting back into the community that's already there. So people are like, why wouldn't you want like these cool coffee shops and like cool restaurants? And yes, they are very cool and awesome, but they're not people in the community uplifting the community. Yeah. They're outsiders that have made money elsewhere coming in and jacking up prices to make more money, to bring more people that can afford that and kicking out the current community. And so we have, you know, the food deserts and, uh, you know, the fast paycheck places that are being put into the community when I feel like we should be investing back into the community with, I do want those good food places, I do want those coffee shops, but from within the community that's already there and that's gonna support the community yeah. that's there. There's this um, pizza place in El Sereno that's like kinda cool and up and coming and it kinda had a big following, was Deep Dish. And it was really cool because it was from a family that was from the neighborhood. What's the name of that? I forgot what it's called, but they're like... Right oh. in their Main Street. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I just drove And so that's really there. cool. Yeah. And I think El Sereno is doing a really great yeah. job of this. Um, I I was I lived in El Sereno right before I moved to South Pasadena. Um, and they have a lot of like community meetings and to fight back of, you know, uh, you know, new fast food restaurants being yeah. put in and, you know, check loan places being put in. Yeah. Um, and bringing in cool restaurants and places that uplift the community and then are based out of that community. Um, so gentrification, the way it's 
currently happening is it is making it so no one can afford to live here and it is really depleting why these places are culturally interesting and cool to begin with and i really feel like i mean the arts district in downtown is one of those places yeah it's gone yeah now like it was like, really cool and, yeah. and interesting for a while look at venice venice used to be a place where artists would live and and now it's just like bucks and now they can't even afford to park there yeah and the buildings down there they're pretty but they're not interesting anymore yeah i, f I feel like a lot of that is changing the way the city is and a lot of the people that are moving into the city don't really want to save the community they just want to be part of the community, yes. but they also want it their way. Yeah. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, like, oh, I hear all this Mexican music on the weekends, and I can't relax, and I'm like, this is what it was before you got here. Yeah. Um, and then, believe me, I'm also big on, like, not having noisy neighbors, but, yeah. like, that's what it was before I moved in. Yeah. And, you know, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, like, I also feel like a gentrifier, because, you know, you know, I'm from K-Town, and I grew up in Koreatown, and then... I live, you know, I spend a lot of weekends in, you know, Echo Park, but then I moved to Echo Park and I was paying rent that was high and I was a gentrifier. Yeah. And then I, now I'm in Highland Park and I'm a gentrifier because I live in a house where like a family lived for less money than what I pay now. See, that's why I kind of feel like sometimes living in South Pass, I'm like sticking it to the man because I'm this brown female <laughs> that's just like in an apartment that I shouldn't be able to afford. Yeah. Like, yeah with the farmer's market i mean but it's it's somewhat diverse but still i'm like but in a way it's almost like we're taking back yeah what is being trying to take be taken away yeah from. but then i go and i mean i take the metro one stop into highland park and then that's yeah. me like i'm eating a dinner at hippo for twenty dollars and yeah. supporting a restaurant there i mean hippo is an amazing restaurant oh <laughs> But yeah, but then that, job, I, I'm like... And, and, and you know, <coughs> Matt Molina, the, the chef, is Mexican. Yeah. I love, I love yeah. the fact that I can go to a restaurant that's... See, and then there's other, like, there's the Greyhound and ETA, too, yeah. where one of the founders, he, like, went to Loyola High School. Yeah. He's minority. He's, you know, from L.A., and I know he cares about the community. Yeah. There's a big shout-out to Highland Park, by the way, guys. <laughs> Highland Park. Highland Park. It's our spot. I know. Hippo is the bomb, though. Yeah, but, it, I mean, just seeing how it's changed drastically. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, because before there was nothing there. And then, you know, it's not like Hippo is, like... I mean, there are families that can't afford to live there now, though. Yeah, that's true. And I think a lot of it also has to do with the owners, because you have to consider that if I am a property owner, I'm going to want to get the max profit out of my property. Yeah. So I'm going to wait for someone to move out and then I'm going to charge a ridiculous price. For or, I mean, they don't even wait for someone to move out. They, they kick them out. They kind of take them out, yeah. And that's the thing. And so a lot of other communities, Lamar Park, you know, I know that uh, Little Tokyo's doing it now. They're creating these trusts to keep people from selling them out and they're buying the property so they can stay there and continue to have that culture there. The thing about Highland Park that is different from Echo Park or Silver Lake is that you know, Silver Lake was a huge gay community, and it was probably the, you know, the beginning of some of the gay rights yeah. in L.A. and also in America because mm -hmm. the Black Cat, but, you know, the Black Cat now is... An act bar. Yeah, it's like weird restaurant bar that no longer has the culture of, you know, the yeah. gay community that was there. And, you know, 
I had a, a an old gay man tell me, well, this is our neighborhood. This is where we came to hide and, and live and comfortable, you know? And, and then afterwards, we didn't hide anymore. We lived here free. And now it's changed. And, you know, Echo Park, I remember Echo Park. I mean, Echo Park was pretty bad and it got better, but now it's Disneyland there, you know? It's like nothing culture is there. Like there was a Mexican restaurant that was right by that bank. And now it's like a nasty barbecue place that has a bunch of Dodger stuff on the outside. And I just thought like, that, that was probably one of the best Mexican restaurants in that area, you know? And I think Echo, uh, Highland And now Park, we're like succumbed to just like a taco truck in front of yeah, like, Lawson's. Like that's our... And that's, uh, it's like yeah, so kitschy. That's our like, nod to like, go. Oh. Ooh, taco truck. Yeah. Like, I love the tacos yeah. in Echo Park. And I'm like, that's a moving truck that can be anywhere. But, uh, you know, Highland Park, I feel like, stayed a little bit genuine. You know, there's a lot of places that went down that no longer had any business and they opened up with something cool but at least we're not losing things that are culturally connected to the city to the area i mean uh sombreroville just closed down the other day but i think it's because it, retail the rent was really high yeah. and i think they were just kind of done with like trying to see i mean i hope it's not changing but i uh I'm, my boyfriend and I were just walking up and down the street there on Sunday, and we walked into this um, clothing store, and it looked like it belonged on Abbott Kinney. Mm. And uh, none of the, it was a men's clothing store. I don't remember the name of it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And the, none of the, the shirts had uh, price, tags. price tags on them. Yeah. And so I asked the guy, I was like, how much? It was nice stuff. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, we, like, they source it. And then, like, they make all the clothing in Los Angeles and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that's really, like, it's cool, but how much is a shirt? And he yeah. was like, oh, those cotton tees are, like, $100. And then I was like, okay, is this your only brick-and-mortar location? And he was like, Yes. And that kind of broke my heart a little bit. Like, this is where you chose to sell your $100 t-shirts. <laughs> right here. Like, this isn't... I would hope that this isn't the neighborhood where you should be selling your $100 yeah. t-shirts. Because even... That was one of the main... A lot of the other clothing stores on that street. I mean, it has the original uh, Forever 21 and then it has a lot of vintage and thrift shops, which I think is cool. But that one store kind of put it a sticks out a little bit. Yeah, it put a I little mean, quiet life shot is on to my that heart. Street as well, and I love quiet life. I shop religiously there, and they're very Highland Park. Yeah, you know, a lot of their T-shirts even say Highland yeah. Park. Yeah, um, but they don't have a hundred dollar T-shirts. Yeah. You know, they have like that like, price point's insane. Yeah, and so I feel like I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to raise the bar with certain things. I think that if the clothing was at that level, I would be like, yeah, I'll spend a hundred bucks. But I don't think so. I saw but people in that like, community oh. aren't spending a hundred dollars no. on a T-shirt. Yeah. See, the thing I like, for an example, like ETA, I like that uh, bar specifically because. It is good food, it is good drinks, and they provide deals so that 
for the neighborhood and the neighborhood with that lower income can come. Can, can come. Yeah, and eat, and like they eat. offer dollar oysters. Yeah, which is crazy. Right? And then even which maybe explains why it smells a certain way. <laughs> and even like on York, uh, I don't want to butcher the name Echo or whatever. It's like five dollar mimosas, like, and they have like a good brunch deal. So there are these restaurants that yeah. are actively. They're trying to bring everybody. Yes. In, not just you know, and I love that Johnny's is still there. Yeah, and like that. I mean, because I'm saying that clothing store, like in all these vintage and thrift shops. Some of them are, um, you know, they do have a lower price point. As we're like, that shirt was, the $100 shirt was the cheapest thing in that store. That seems to be not catering for everybody. And I noticed that too, because when I walked in there, uh, I think that the guy said nothing to me. Yeah. As, and it's like, they, he was like, oh, we sourced the cotton from Los Angeles and it's made in Los Angeles. But then the tags had San Juan Capistrano on it. And I was just like, mm. he's like, well, our showroom's based out there. Mm. And I was like, well, then take some pride in, like, that it comes from L.A. Yeah. Like, Big, Big Bud Press on yeah. York. Yeah. It is a little more expensive side, but they employ, uh, you know, Angelinos. Yeah. That majority are, I'm sure, minorities, and they have, pay them. They also have Latina. And, a, yes. And I love. A living big, wage. Big and shout out to the Big, big Bud Press, yes. yeah. Because they have their... If you look at their Instagram, if you look at their promotional stuff, if you look at their body inclusive, body inclusive, women of all sizes, all yes. colors, and I they could, celebrate the fact them, that yeah. they're based out of Los yeah. Angeles. And I mean, and, and, and these ladies have been around the area. They were in Glassell Park before, as I believe, and then they came to Highland Park, and they're just they're they're everybody. Yeah, they're everybody, and they're a part of the community. Yeah, and that's what they're trying to. And they have crazy for. sample sales that, like, yeah. then everyone can afford the yeah. clothing once they're again. They're not trying to make it exclusive. They're not yeah. trying to be like, "This is for us." You know. Yeah. The reverse fubu. And yeah, we just got to keep supporting those uh, businesses. And in that sense, like, let's talk about let's talk about that a little bit more about privilege. So you know, we're talking about big press, how they include everybody is. This hundred dollar tea, the sign of, of white privilege is it is white privilege sort of something that affects us on every day. I mean, a hundred percent. How does it affect you? I mean, I just think from like institutionalized racism, it's affected me in the path that I've living my life. You know, my grandfather worked for Southern California Edison and consistently didn't get promoted because he was a man of color. Um. And oftentimes, he, I mean, he would tell me the story, they were like paired up and they would go out and do their jobs. And he was oftentimes either pay, paired with um, a brown man or a black man. And he like made it to the top tier that he could possibly make. And that was it. And just imagine if he had, and he was good at his job. He was very good at his job. Uh, and if he had continued to move up that ladder, he would have been able to provide a different life to my mother, and my granny, and my uncle. And then it trickles down, and then they yeah. would have been able to provide a better life to, to me and my brother and my cousin. And then like who like, and then I would have been you know given an extra like Ford to do X Y Z. And I think that's very important because. 
it's almost like the theory that if your parents go to college, you are most likely to go to college yourself. Yeah. Um, and I remember my mother going to community college, LACC, and, uh, you know, like having to go there and then coming home and stuff like that. And everything with her was like education, education, you know. And so as, as far as I remember when we were kids, she goes, I don't care what you do, you guys got to get a college degree. You know, be getting anybody pregnant. So don't get anybody pregnant and go to college. And so literally she has a household of men that grew up and went all went to college. Now she regrets it because she wants grandchildren, but we all got college degrees. Yeah. And so I think having the fact that one parent does something and moves to a certain level is more of a push for us to do it too, but it's also like the thing that we know. It sets you up for success. Yeah. If we know that your parents have this, then you're going to be this. Yeah. And I mean, it, there's no wonder. I mean, I look at my girlfriend, both her parents are engineers. They went to school while their kids were little and they both got degrees. There's no wonder that, you know, she's an architect, yeah. her sister's a scientist and the other one's in property management. I mean, they all sort of succeeded in their own way because it was that sort of family trait. I don't know if it's even genetic, but it's like something where like if your parents do something that like you're most likely to do that successful next step to that. Yeah, and I feel like I'm way more privileged than, you know, other people Is there brown color. Um, I mean, I think when you're white passing, that's a sense of brown privilege. Um, What's white passing for those who don't know what that is? It's when you're a person of color, but you physically appear white. Nice. So I think oftentimes people think that I'm mixed, like half white mm -hmm. and half something else. Yeah. Like they think I'm Italian. like Latino yeah. or uh, some kind of Asian. Uh, yeah, and I feel like I'm privileged more than a lot of other people. And my grandparents did an amazing job with what they had. And it just makes me think, like, I mean, they did an amazing job with what they had. And it just makes me think, like, what, what could they have done if they didn't have their skin color to, Probably like, yeah. yeah. That's true. That's very true. I mean, I, I think about a lot about that um, town in Oklahoma, which they call Black Wall Street, where people were so successful and there was so much money coming out. And then... You know, these races came in and just burned them to the ground. Yeah. Like, what if those people had have never, you know, had to suffer that and that genocide never happened? What would have happened to the black community in Oklahoma? How successful would they have been? Right. How huge would it have the implications nationwide? Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a thing where like I think about it. Like, if my mother had never gone to college, where would I be now? Um, and that's the other thing, just surviving that and, and being able to go through that. Um, talking about white privilege and brown privilege, like, what would you want non-white people to stop saying to you? My biggest, uh, like my, my most hated phrase is when someone says, hey amigo, I fucking hate that. I think that that's like the most condescending shit you could ever say to a brown man. Uh, first of all, I'm not your friend. You can say, hey friend, and I would be like, hello, stranger that I don't know but hey amigo is so condescending to me like if you want to learn Spanish more power to you but don't come up to me and say hey amigo I I hate when someone calls me like spicy or uh, saucy that's really annoying I also hate it uh, 
so my name is Marina, mm -hmm. right? And it's difficult for some people to say that. Yeah. So oftentimes in just growing up, um, predominantly around a bunch of white kids, I started introducing myself as Marina. Mm -hmm. And that was a constant struggle with my identity. And I think maybe three years ago, I finally made it a New Year's resolution that I was going to introduce myself correctly and not be ashamed yeah. of my name. And it's not my fault that you can't pronounce. pronounce it. And then it's most definitely my fault that you're not even gonna put an effort in to pronounce it correctly. Yeah. And um, I, see, the, and the thing is too, is like we had a family that were white growing up as kids and uh, Chris Butchko, shout out to Chris Butchko, he would call me Manina. And I knew it was because that's, he was trying to say Marina, yeah. but the best he could get out was Manina. And that in, in itself was endearing because I knew he was making an effort. Yeah. And so one of my biggest frustrations is when I introduce myself, it's different when I'm, I just sometimes give in and I'm like, my name's Marina. Yeah. But when I actively introduce myself, Marina, yeah. and they go Marina, and I have to be like, no, Marina, yeah. and then they still call me Marina, I think it's a slap in the face. Mm. Identity is very important, so I think that, that that's a that's a good way of like putting it. I mean, you 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 should be called by, by what you recognize yourself as. Um, yeah, it's the same way as like you know being a lot of people say like oh queer is a bad word, and you know this younger crowd and these new young kids use the word as this is who they represent themselves as, and, that, and you should be allowed to take whatever word or whatever way you want your name pronounced. I love my last name, but people for the life of them can't say Barillas. Um, they'll say Barillas, or they'll add another S or an I or something like that. And so after a while, I just keep saying, it's like the pasta that just had an S at the end. And then they're like, oh, like Barilla. And I was like, yeah, so it's just Barillas. The two L's are J. But sometimes it feels like it's too much too to sort of explain then and that's so I kind of get tired of I yeah. agree with you and that's why oftentimes I'm just like I'll sometimes go into a, a yeah. situation I'll be like I'm Marina today yeah but also I'm not gonna I, I got to the point where I was like it is a lot for them yeah so I'm gonna say Marina Marina and then be done with it yeah and then it's your job to, yeah, to say correctly or yes. not, not give a shit about yeah. it. And then, yeah. And I I, I I get that a lot with when people are like, oh, is your name Drew? How did you get a name Drew? And I'm like, well, my name's Andrew. But nobody calls me Andrew. Everybody just calls me Drew. And it's either laziness or whatever. But it's always a surprising thing that people are like, oh, Drew? Like, you know, it's like, yes, my name is Drew. And yeah. you know, I'm brown. It yes. might be a little difficult for you to understand. Yeah, I think I, like, I should be allowed to just say, hey, I'm Drew. Yeah. That's it. And not be done with it. But my last name, just like your first name, I, I don't know if I can fight people on that. I feel like when you have to pronounce ours, I feel like a lot of non-Latino, mainly white people, get a little bit nervous with the ours. Yeah, but that's not on you. That's, that's not their, on you. Their shit. Right. 
And that's like my my whole name is difficult to pronounce. My whole name. Full disclosure, data. My white girlfriend has to correct me five times until I said your name correctly. She's she's always been really good at saying your name, but I've been the one that... See, and I think too, like... I called you Maria Elena the first time. I was like, is her name Maria Elena? She's like, no, it's Marina. Yeah, my whole my whole name is difficult to pronounce, and I think it's funny too because it's like uh, recently being able to say it out loud. Like I used to not even claim my la- my middle name because I was embarrassed, and so now claiming my whole name and saying it correctly, I'm like, yes. it's like reclaiming. Like I have yeah. previously was talking about. I love that. There's a reclaiming, reclaiming my culture and yeah, yeah, reconnecting. Let's talk about culture. Bolillos or tortillas? Oh, it depends where you're getting them from. Oh, you're one of those, huh? Okay. I'll, yeah, it depends where What's you're your getting them. What's your go-to? Huh? Tortilla or bolillo? Probably a tortilla. Got it. Flour. So, tacos or pupusas? Tacos. Okay. Um, yeah, Leo. DiCaprio was saying that he's a pupusa man. Oh, yeah. So Salvadorians are like going crazy right now, claiming that fool. Um, is food culturally important for us? I mean, is our oh, food 100%. our identity? I mean, are we, are we the, the things we eat? Oh, 100%, are I think so. Are we tacos? So. Are we pupusas? Are we that? I mean, I feel like uh, the thing that, that is so important to me about food is when I see somebody trying to make a Latino dish, but then they improvise by making it something else. I feel like don't make it. Just don't make it at all. Like I, I've had this conversation with my girlfriend and she'll be like, Oh, what if we had this? And I'm like, No. This is not what that is. It's simple. This is I think there's a, something to be said if you're like if you're trying to make that specific dish. Yeah. Um my boyfriend's become obsessed with um he loves tamales. I don't really like tamales. Um, but he's become obsessed with tamales and making them like more interesting. Not mm. even more interesting. That's I'm putting words in his mouth. Yeah. Different because he likes the idea of like the ingredients being like completely mixed within the masa, mm. or like because he really likes the taste of the masa. Oh, so he okay. wishes maybe either the ingredients are like mixed throughout the masa, yeah. or that it's just like a chunk of masa with the ingredient, like a deconstructed tamale. Uh. And, um, There's grandmas right now just like yelling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I know he's not trying to make like a traditional tamale that I would have on, you know, yeah. Christmas Eve. And I find it kind of endearing that he's doing it. And he's not trying to like, you know, profit off of it or anything. However, yeah. my brother and sister-in-law are trying to get him to like, <laughs> like, like, let's use this white man to make fancy tamales and make money for our family. Oh. <laughs> Um, but yeah, when like someone's like trying to make like fucking fancy menudo. Oh yeah, I don't I, like. But not to my girlfriend. She made a pozole, a vegan pozole, oh, okay. which you know I told some of my family members, and they were just they made the, the weirdest face ever, like like a how dare you and what. But then uh, she fed me this vegan pozole, and it was the shit. And I'm a big pozole guy. Like I'm not. Um, I don't like menudo. Uh, I think it has something to do with the tripe or the, you know, the stomach or whatever. Uh, but I'm a big fan of pozole, and I go places just to make line to yeah. eat pozole. Um, you know, like those kids that sit outside those stores to get their tennis shoes or this yeah, yeah, yeah. bullshit. 
I do it for pozole. And um, she made a crazy vegan pozole, which was in, just amazing. Um, so I do love that she has that interest as well. But when she tries to change things, I feel like there's something. Then it becomes not pozole anymore. Yeah. Like if you're like trying to do pozole with like trustful infused yeah. uh, oil and like, yeah. you know, uh, guinea hen. Yeah. It's not pozole anymore. It's a different soup. Yeah. Yeah. Now you got to call it something yeah, else. Yeah. And it's like you can't. Totally. She's like, oh, no, it's just like pozole. And it's like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like that we have these conversations, and I love that we have these conversations because the kitchen is a very important place for me. Um, I also think that the kitchen is a very important place for brown people. Oh, 100%. What, what's the most brownest Latino Chicano thing you have in your kitchen right now? I was going to say I have beans from scratch, but I literally just tossed them out last night. Oh, okay. Um, it didn't work out, or they were just old. They were just old, and I haven't gone. I haven't seen my. Yeah. She every single time I see my mom, she gives me fresh made, like from scratch. Nice. And one of my chores, refried? I remember growing. Huh. Refried beans. Uh, I guess yeah, that's what yeah the refried okay. beans. Yeah. Well, because they're not de la olla, so like bean soup, oh, okay. but like they're like yeah, yeah, yeah. mashed and yum. Yeah. That was one of my chores as a kid was to make cleaning the beans. the beans. Oh, okay. Um, because. They come in that like bag and they're hard. How many beans did you get? And then like, oh, I we had beans almost every single night. Oh wow, okay. And uh, doing that, cleaning the beans, and then shredding a block of cheese because we didn't buy a. Is there a dish that you make? Grated cheese. Your mom made it that you're now making as an adult that you kind of find yourself like just making it and you're like, oh. Uh. Every chance I get, I make beans from scratch. And it's so funny because when I had our friends over for the De Los Muertos celebration, yeah. back to Mike. Shout out to Mike in this yeah. podcast. Yeah, Mike, Mike, Mike. Um, he's he's like, these beans are so good. I was like, yeah, yeah, they're great. He's like, what are, like, where'd you get them? And I was like, oh, my mom made them. They're, like, from scratch. Yeah. And he, his face, like, he had, he didn't comprehend. He was yeah. like, what do you mean from scratch? <laughs> and I was like, like. Beans come hard, and then you, like, boil them over time, and they soft. And he had never knowingly had beans from scratch. I feel like Mike should have, like, a cultural National Geographic show where he right? asks people questions. Like, what is this? And I was like, he was like, this is the best thing I ever had. And it was so cool to me that I got to share with him. Yeah. Like, that my mom just made these beans from scratch. They weren't, like, from a can. They weren't from a restaurant. That she spent. Yeah. I mean, it takes a long time to cook beans. It does. It does, and I think it's it's like a process. It's kind of like uh, cooking, I guess, what you would call Mexican rice. Yeah. But Mexicans just call rice. Yeah. Um, um, I think it's that thing like you just it, it's a long process. And stuff yeah, it takes like it. three yeah, hours. Stuff like we make those styles at home, and we have refried beans and you know black beans because you know I'm Central American and, and South American. And um, we do all this stuff. We get, you know, radishes. And, and I love radishes. Dana, like, I don't think she had radishes as much as she has now. And I eat them raw. Cause that's what we so do them. I have radishes yeah. cut in the fridge and right I now. I her to the... And the pickled onions. Pepinos. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, that's for you non-speaking Spanish people, cucumbers. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I slice them and put lemon and tahini. Yeah. And tahini is a, is, a, is a very important thing for me as well. So... Um, 
I remember when I first started dating her, uh, we were looking for tahini and we couldn't find it. And I had some in my car and she was like, why would you have tahini in your See, car? See, I didn't grow up with tahini. I grew up with uh, the seasoning called pico de gallo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was like... Yeah, that was big. That was the OG tahini. That was big tahin. for our parents, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, it's... Tahini? I wonder tahin. if they still didn't make it. It wasn't... It was, it's way finer than tahini. Yeah, it's more, it's more like. And it's more seasoning. chili pepper. Yeah. yeah. And it's less of crunchy. <coughs> it I has think, a less lime kick to it. Yeah. I got used to tahini because um, when we used to go visit our, my godparents in Echo Park, the guys that would sell the fruit on the outside, the yeah. ghost, all that stuff, they always had tahini. I mean, right? I love tahini. Uh, so. Chamoy, whatever that thing is. Yeah. Chamoy. Chamoy, yeah. yeah. I can't even say it. Uh, somebody's going to. Pull my brown card, so. Um, and then, of course, your pinto bean, not black beans, because you're Mexican, and that's okay. Um, Always, forever, pinto beans yeah. over black. Let's talk about, uh, let's move into the music part now. So, just like our food is very us. Um, oh, are you a mayonnaise person? Do you like mayonnaise? Uh, I do like mayonnaise. Yeah? Yeah. I don't. I don't understand the the thing about putting mayonnaise in a lot of stuff. I'm not I, that. I think. I think my it has to do with like my mom too. Kind of growing up in more of a suburb area. I mean Montebello, yeah. and so like it was easy like mayonnaise on the sandwiches kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my granny wasn't a big uh, cook. Oh okay. So my granny wasn't so weird, but my great grandmother was. Oh, okay. And my she, my mom would stay with my great grandma a lot, but when it got down to like lunches, um, my mom ended up making a lot of things for her and her brother. So I think that's maybe why. Uh, my mom likes my niece, so I think she just instilled that in us. So let me let me segue into other cultural parts of our psyche. How important is music to brown people? Um, so I come from an interesting background. So my father is a musician. Um, and my parents met in college and my mom um, was in the ballet flocorico, which is uh, traditional Mexican dances. Mm -hmm. And my father was a folk musician. Oh, awesome. So, uh, I feel like I'm more so um, enveloped and understanding of music and how it pertains to our culture and in Mexico than maybe just like some someone who like grew up in Los Angeles. And that's solely based because my father grew up playing this, the music for me. Like, I didn't listen to the radio growing up as a kid. My, we listened to the Beatles, because my mom loved the Beatles, so they, like, became my favorite band. And then we just listened to Huasteco music, uh, Jorocho music, mariachi music, um, and, like, Linda Ronstadt all the time. So like that's all I grew up listening to. Shout out to Linda Ronstadt, man. She's uh, she's gonna start performing again. And uh, yeah, my dad like belonged to uh, this band Los Lobos that's popular here in Los Angeles. My dad was like part of them before they like got big. But your 
dad was part of Los Lobos before? I don't know if they were technically called like Los Lobos at this time, but he played with the guys that became Los Lobos. Oh, wow. And I don't think, he always tells us, he's like, I didn't stick around with the band because I didn't think anything big was going to happen from it. Um, yeah, and then but then like we grew up going to my dad. My mom is a was a teacher, and my dad for L Unified School District. And my dad eventually became an LFI Unified School District teacher as well. But he uh, would volunteer for this program in East LA called Mariachi Olimpico, and it's it was through um, Belvedere Middle School. Belvedere Elementary School, and then I forgot what middle school, and then in Roosevelt High School, and they would teach these kids instruments, and it was like orchestra, but mariachi. Yeah, okay, yeah. And uh, so we would grow up every year going on these conven mariachi conventions. That's dope. Is, is there a genre of music that you don't like? I don't like country. But no, Latino music. Oh, um. See, and the thing is, is like I wouldn't necessarily like sit down and put like Horocho music on or like mariachi music even. Yeah. Um, but when it is on, it it gives me fond memories, and it's. Uh, Not a big fan of banda music. I see the thing. Everyone, I can't listen to banda for an extended period of time, but every once in a while, I listen to a banda song. It's like, hey, you know. I can see that. Yeah, I'm just not a big fan of it. I think it has to do with like having a neighbor that would play it all the time, and so just yeah, yeah. I'm like, so I'm I'm not like that's not the first <coughs> type of music that I put on at all, what, like Mexican folk music. What's your non-Latino guilty pleasure? Like, what music would you like you listen to that's non-traditional for us? Oh, pro like rap and hip hop. Mm. Nothing else? Like, there's not like a crazy. I know you don't like. Country. Um, okay. Uh, oh. Probably Paul Simon. Okay. And what's the deal with Morrissey? Why did brown people love Morrissey? I do not know. Okay, so I used to love Morrissey. I don't know if it's just like growing up in Los Angeles, and, yeah, too. I think it was part of our identity. At yeah, time, like, um, and like The Cure and yeah. Depeche Mode. Yeah. Um, I loved all that. And like I love, you know, all the good 80s yeah. uh, music. Um, but I mean, he's hella problematic now. So yeah. I feel like we should 100% drop him. But I still have friends that are like diehard Morrissey fans. Well, he, he'll cancel shows in LA and he'll cancel shows everywhere. And he will never cancel shows in Mexico City. So he's, you know, he knows his fan base is now in Mexico than more than anywhere else. But then he just says those stupidest things all the time. Yeah, he's... It's hard to like, it's hard to like the dude because he's just such a pendejo sometimes where you're like... All the time. Shut your mouth and just... He's yeah. racist AF. Yeah. And I'm like... You're, this is the brown people are supporting you and you're like turning on us yeah. I'm gonna say some stuff this is the lightning round and I'm gonna say words and you're gonna tell me what you think of these things okay all right Nike Cortez uh Heaven's Gate <laughs> hoop earrings oh I always have a pair on me Comal 
Uh, I'm not too familiar with kobal. It's where you make your tortillas? Yeah. yeah. I I mean, I don't make my tortillas, so... Okay. Uh, street elotes. Uh, amazing. And should never be more than like a buck fifty. Even though it has mayo? Uh, yeah. Champurado? I hate champurado. It's so gross. Sorry, everyone out there. But also, my dad used to try and push it down us like every single morning. So it was like my oatmeal. So I don't know what champurado is made out of, but I feel like it's like goopy. It is very goopy. And like, as I don't never make it. Um, my mom was big on My dad would put an egg in it. And I love eggs. I just hate champurado. It grosses me out. Raspados? So good. It's something crazy when you see a guy show up. With the cart and a big ass block of ice, with and a like, shaver. And he just Do you remember? It. Yeah, like fresh shaving. And I'm just like, dude, this is like, I you can get shredded ice anywhere, but like something about having this dude just put in the work. And What's your favorite up. flavor? Uh, I like the condensed milk. One. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> that was the high five there. If you guys didn't know what happened, um, Selena. I love her. It's crazy that, like. Her image and her life spun other careers because, you know... We she's were, like our Beyonce. Yeah. She's like our Beyonce before there was Beyonce. I mean, she was yeah. J-Lo before there was J-Lo. Yeah. You know, but if it wasn't for her, they wouldn't be no... A J-Lo, yeah. J-Lo, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, no offense to J-Lo. She has her own talents. But, yeah. you know, if it wasn't for Selena... See, everyone, I feel like, always does the question, like, Beyonce or Selena? And Selena, hands Beyonce. down, for yeah. me. But Beyonce's not bad. I mean, I just don't like the fact that she still arts from other people, but that's another time question. Frida. Um, inspiring. I think Frida would have a heart attack if she was around in this time because the overexposure of her work or her image would kill her. She was never one for like commercializing her art or herself. I, I agree, but I think... She was a very adaptable and strong woman. I just don't know if she would have agreed with everybody like using her image for coasters and for dolls and for stuff. Oh, 100%. But I'm sure, I mean, if she were still alive, she'd be able to control that. Yeah, I think so too. But I I don't know. I feel really weird. Also, when people wear like hats and t-shirts I'm like man if you only knew the real story about that guy you see Frida though I have a different connection with too because like my degrees in fine arts and yeah um I did study large-scale paintings and to me she's like a sensitive subject just because of the appropriation yeah of non-latinos with Frida see I have I don't have anything with her on it Mm -hmm. but I do have like her hanging on my walls I feel like the image of her has been sort of used by everybody, and it's it's almost like when when white parents name their kids Latino names like Joaquin or yeah. Paloma. Yeah, it's like that's kind of those things that I'm like, why what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you reappropriating this? Uh, Walter Mercado. You don't know Walter Mercado. Do I know Walter Mercado? The famous psychic that just passed away. Oh, yeah. I didn't grow my um. We didn't watch him, which is finding funny to me because my mom is big into astrology. Astrology. Yeah. So I don't know why she didn't watch him. I figured that you would. Um. 
and my granny and uh, grandmother were cynics. Oh. So they wouldn't, they didn't, uh, well, they're like superstitious and all that stuff, but they would never like admit to being part of that. All right. Lucas Candy. Uh, my childhood. Tajin. Um, delicious. And I have a jar in my pantry right now or a shaker. Topo Chico? Um, uh, Is that like brown people like, like Croix? No, it's like my grand, my dad calls it Mexican sewer water, which is so horrible. <laughs> but like, it's all of a sudden the game is so popular, and we're just like, what? I know, I know. Why? So, but Chico's kind of weird because it's been around for a very, very long time. Yeah. And then now there's like flavors and all this. It's cool to have yeah. Topo Chico. But I mean, I I've like, always loved sparkling water, but yeah. it's just never. I heard somebody was like, you know, like. They went to a store and they were like, oh, there's no more Topo Chico. And the guy was saying something. He was, he's like, oh, damn it. He's like, what if I went to like white people's store and, you know, bought all their LaCroix? They wouldn't be happy about that. Which I thought it was funny that that was the reference to Topo See, Chico. and I feel like it just best, just started being distributed in the United States. I could be wrong, but like I didn't grow up with like Sp Topo Chico. And one last word. La Chancla. Oh. <laughs> What is it about mothers and La Chancla that makes them like like amazing throwers? She never threw her chancla at us, but she would spank us with it. And I always wanted the chancla over the spoon. Because ah. the chancla, she got, um, there was this brand called Flojos um, that we would get at the Orange County Swamp Meet. We would drive down and she would get us a pair every single summer. And they were like rubber. And so in the sun, they would kind of deteriorate. And so uh, her chanclas, they were softer. <laughs> and like it didn't have as much friction and it would bend back. So like it would be more, um, it would like resist the air. Yeah. And so hitting us, it was like a, a firm pillow kind of. And so we'd be like, not the chancla, but I'd be in my head be like, yes, the chancla, not the spoon, like. Fear the chancla. Or the, the hand, I didn't want the hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, my I was down. My was like a, like a ninja, like she, she couldn't figure out how to deal with the VCR or the DVD or any electronic stuff, but you know, she was really clumsy with grabbing stuff. But with the chancla, she was like a master ninja. She would throw these chanclas and it would miss somebody but hit me. It, I was just like, how do you, you know, and maybe that's why I'm so good at dodgeball. It's genetics or something like that, because she was like. Yeah, she never, maybe yeah. it's because she was afraid she was, she didn't have good aim and she was going to oh, okay. hit someone else. But she yeah. would, we would get I think, I, you know, like her hitting it. me with the chunkla wasn't as bad as her, like, catching me. Because I was always more affected by the fact that she threw it and it caught me. And I, would, I was a sneaky little fucker. Yeah. Small, and I would just kind of dive in in front of people, and I'd be like, I don't care who gets hurt, collateral damage. <laughs> and she would just be like, Oops. and it was so, so good, and it hurt more, because I was like, damn it. You know? All right. Well, this is it for us. We're saying goodbye. Bye. It was great talking Thanks to you. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, tell a friend, all that good stuff. And remember... If you don't see color, 
and you don't see beauty.